Section eleven of Heroines of Fiction by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Earlier Heroines of Charles Dickens. I should be at a loss to say exactly why Bulwer holds in my mind some such relation to English fiction as Balzac holds to the French. Perhaps it is because they were so nearly contemporaneous in their work and dealt in it so largely both with criminals and with swells and both dabbled in mysticism they were alike in theorizing about their art and in meaning greater things than they ever did though balzac did so much greater things than bulwer they escaped together from the hold of decadent romance but not without continuing in certain things very romanticistic bulwer it is true wrote a number of historical novels and balzac wrote one or two novels notably eugenie grandet and cesar birotteau almost purely realistic and of a truth never approached by bulwer in any of the stories where he tried so hard for the likeness of life another talent far greater than he and of a quality still unique in english literature resembled balzac in the employment of bizarre and eccentric characters while he led all the other romanticists in the use of such effectisms as people keeping their identity concealed through a whole action or good people masking as bad people or clever persons sustaining the part of foolish persons in order to confound the wicked of course i am speaking of charles dickens a mighty imagination whose vices grew upon him with his virtues under the immense favour he almost instantly achieved one in the characterization of women i do not think dickens ever struck a truer note than in some of his very earliest heroines who were so much more real than the more elaborate figures that follow them in interminable procession through the long perspective of his fiction the scheme of his first novel if pickwick papers can be called a novel is so desultory that the young ladies in it have little to do in bringing about its comedy closes and are there in such action as they share solely for the purpose of being pretty and provoking and ensnaring the hearts of their lovers and then being easily won by them this is not a very high conception of woman's business in the world but so very many women seem to be in the world for nothing else that we can hardly blame those who are restricted to it in fiction it is to be said in their defence besides that when dickens began to draw women of a different type he did not seem to get them so true he made us believe in them by dint of appealing to our consciences or our sensibilities and he achieved a moral rather than an artistic triumph in heroines who are for our good rather than our pleasure 
after all though why should not arabella allen and emily wardle be for our good too they are nice girls of the true anglo-saxon tradition in heroines but their innocent lures are more obvious than those of jane austen's or francis burney's nice girls they are something more of romps and were such girls as the young reporter had probably himself known in the society which he then frequented at the christmas festivities where we first meet miss allen she is a guest of the hospitable wardle household which comes out to meet mr pickwick and his friends and is the black-eyed young lady in a very nice little pair of boots with fur round the top who was observed to scream very loudly when mr winkle offered to help her over the stile at an allusion to an approaching marriage this young lady with the black eyes and the fur round the boots whispered something in emily's ear and then glanced archly at mr snodgrass in the evening after the dance when it was a question of being kissed under the mistletoe and the young ladies all screamed and struggled and ran into corners and threatened and remonstrated and did everything but leave the room mr winkle kissed the young lady with the black eyes and mr snodgrass kissed emily several chapters later when the pickwickians are again at manor farm miss allen is still there and at the pond where they all go to skate she urges mr winkle to skate and then is not ashamed of him for having pretended to know how and fallen down on the ice and had his skates ignominiously taken off him by mr pickwick's order after this it is only an affair of time and not much time as to her elopement with mr winkle whose father provisionally disowns him till he decides to see arabella and judge of his son's folly for himself arabella's tears flowed fast as she pleaded in extenuation that she was young and inexperienced that she had been deprived of the counsel and guidance of her parents almost from infancy it was my fault all my fault sir replied poor arabella weeping nonsense said the old gentleman it was not your fault that he fell in love with you i suppose yes it was though said the old gentleman looking rather shyly at arabella it was your fault he couldn't help it all this is supposed to have happened when our century was in its early thirties and people took life much less psychologically than they do now and had spirits for anything pickwick papers themselves seem the effect of the most robust high spirits sometimes the most resolute high spirits as we read them in this late twilight and wonder a little what used to make us laugh so much a serious heroine or even a heroine seriously treated would have been out of place in that rollicking atmosphere and arabella allen does better than a finer personality as for the love-making there is none to the reader's direct knowledge and only inferentially a little at the christmas dance when the absence of the lovers keeps the music waiting where's arabella allen cried a dozen voices and winkle added mr tupman here we are exclaimed that gentleman emerging with his pretty companion from the corner as he did so it would have been hard to tell which was the redder in the face he or the young lady with the black eyes 
what an extraordinary thing it is winkle said mr pickwick rather pettishly that you couldn't have taken your place before not at all extraordinary said mr winkle well said mr pickwick with a very expressive smile as his eyes rested upon arabella well i don't know that it was extraordinary either after all two the love in pickwick papers is in fact all ready-made but there is no subtlety in the author that leaves you in doubt of its being love he put on subtlety enough of all sorts afterwards except of the sort that really conceals something and that is perhaps why he became and remains such a universal favourite for there is nothing that the average novel-reader who is nearly as low an intelligence as the average playgoer likes so much as a deep mystery which he is in the secret of dickens attempted something finer in his next novel than anything he tried in pickwick papers and in nicholas nickleby we have the choice of two heroines kate nickleby and madeline gray who are as far as possible from the elemental arts of arabella allen but who exist more to touch than to take the reader's heart we have no longer the pure comedy of pickwick papers but the tragedy is not so good as the comedy in nicholas nickleby and the farcical people are all more real grotesque characters as they mostly are than the serious people of the women mrs nickleby is the most vital and yet in the part of absolute fool mrs nickleby is not to be spoken of in the same breath with mrs bennet in pride and prejudice her folly is burlesqued and the charm of mrs bennet's folly is that it is never burlesqued you can always go back to the book and laugh at her as gladly any time as the first time but your pleasure mrs nickleby soon passes you get the trick of her the parenthetical incoherence which dickens worked afterwards in flora caspi mrs lirriper david copperfield's landlady mrs plornish and i do not know how many others and then if one is not in one's prime she very quickly stales in my own prime however i used to take my life in my hand so killingly funny i found it all when i ventured to read of the mad gentleman next door throwing vegetables over the wall as a token of his love for mrs nickleby and afterwards scrambling down her chimney in further proof of his passion and being pulled out over the grate and dropped floundering on the floor by frank Cheribble oh yes yes said kate directly the whole figure of this singular visitor appeared in this abrupt manner i know who it is is he hurt i hope not oh pray see if he is hurt he is not i assure you said frank handling the object of his surprise after this appeal with sudden tenderness and respect but may i ask you what this means and whether you expected this old gentleman oh no said kate of course not but he mamma does not think so i believe but he is a mad gentleman who has escaped from the next house and must have found an opportunity of secreting himself there kate interposed mrs nickleby with severe dignity i am surprised at you i am quite astonished that you should join the persecutors of this unfortunate gentleman you ought not to allow your feelings to be influenced it is not right very far from it what should my feelings be do you suppose if anybody ought to be indignant who is it i of course am very properly so still at the same time i wouldn't commit such an injustice for the world 
no continued mrs nickleby drawing herself up and looking another way with a kind of bashful stateliness this gentleman will understand me when i tell him that i repeat the answer i gave the other day that i always will repeat it though i do believe him to be sincere when i find him placing himself in such dreadful situations on my account and that i request him to go away immediately i am obliged to him very much obliged to him but i cannot listen to his addresses for a moment it's quite impossible the old gentleman with his nose and cheeks embellished with large patches of soot sat upon the ground with his arms folded eyeing the spectators in profound silence and with a very majestic demeanour he did not take the smallest notice of what mrs nickleby had said but when she had ceased to speak he honoured her with a long stare and inquired if she had quite finished i have nothing more to say replied that lady modestly very good said the old gentleman raising his voice then bring in the bottled lightning a clean tumbler and a corkscrew nobody executing this order the old gentleman after a short pause raised his voice again and demanded a thunder sandwich this article not being forthcoming either he requested to be served with fricassee of boot-tops and goldfish sauce and then laughing heartily he gratified his hearers with a very long loud and melodious bellow but still mrs nickleby in reply to the significant looks of those about her shook her head as though to assure them that she saw nothing in all this unless indeed it were a slight degree of eccentricity three when some misgivings of the infallibility of dickens's wonderful powers began to insinuate themselves among his worshippers certain of the more candid were inclined to own that he might err on the side of pathos but held that on the side of humour really he was without sin yet it cannot be denied that there was always a touch of horseplay in his humour and at times it was all horseplay it grew better it grew finer there is no denying that either but at the very end it was not the best not the finest humour his pathos was not the finest pathos but that improved in quality too and the pathos of his latest book was no such swash of sentimentality as flooded the readers of old curiosity shop a whole generation on either side of the atlantic used to fall sobbing at the name of little nell which will hardly bring tears to the eyes of any one now though it is still apparent that the child was imagined with real feeling and her sad little melodrama was staged with sympathetic skill when all is said against the lapses of taste and truth the notion of the young girl wandering up and down the country with her demented grandfather and meeting good and evil fortune with the same devotion till death overtakes her is something that must always touch the heart it is preposterously overdone yes and the author himself falls into pages of hysterical rhythm which once moved people when he ought to have been writing plain straight prose yet there is in all a sense of the divinity in common and humble lives which is the most precious quality of literature as it is almost the rarest and it is this which moves and consoles it is this quality in dickens which tolstoy prizes and accepts as proof of his great art and which the true critic must always set above any effect of literary mastery it remained with dickens to the last and long after success had spoiled him and made him conscious he still had it and could impart it 
but not so sweetly and purely as in the poor rude people among whom little nell and her grandfather wandered till she died and who opened their hearts to her helplessness with a tenderness that the reader cannot but share she lives in this compassion and not in the shadowy and purposeless objectivity which the author gives her for in oliver twist dickens goes on to another ideal in nancy sykes who like little nell is a heroine by default for the book has no other though it is duly supplied in rose maylie with a sort of sexless lay figure with a semblance of personality which he learned more and more to arrive at the story is not so loosely contrived as that of old curiosity shop but it is not easy to find out why any one rather than another does this or that in it and the best that can be said of nancy is that her function is more distinct and her presence more reasonably accounted for than some others first she is useful in trapping little oliver and getting him back into the power of fagin the jewish professor of petty larceny and then she is useful in repentantly saving him from a life of crime and restoring him to his friends but her chief office is to illustrate the constancy of woman's nature by her devotion to the burglar her brutal paramour and to die by his hand when he suspects her of treachery it cannot be said that she is convincingly identified with her class in manner or parlance all the attempts so to characterize her are limp and crude we must take her upon faith and believe because the author tells us so that a girl of her hapless sort would speak and act as she does in fact she is evolved as a personality from a convention of lost womanhood and is clothed and coloured by the author's fancy to the effect we were once all so familiar with she is helped out with tremendous situations and grisly catastrophes and she dies a death of blood-curdling horror at the hands of her lover which has so often been represented on the stage that she might well seem native there yet for the theatre where it belongs the scene is as such things go potently imagined and we may look upon it once more supposing the lights down and the quivering violins muted and realize the greatness of the author's strictly melodramatic gift he had roused her from her sleep for she raised herself up with a hurried and startled look get up said the man it is you bill said the girl with an expression of pleasure at his return it is was the reply get up bill said the girl in the low voice of alarm why do you look like that at me the robber sat regarding her for a few seconds with dilated nostrils and heaving breast and then grasping her by the head and throat dragged her into the middle of the room and looking once towards the door placed his heavy hand upon her mouth bill bill gasped the girl wrestling with the strength of mortal fear i i won't scream or cry not once hear me speak to me tell me what i've done you know you she-devil returned the robber suppressing his breath you were watched to-night every word you said was heard then spare my life for the love of heaven as i spared yours rejoined the girl clinging to him bill dear bill you cannot have the heart to kill me oh think of all i have given up only this one night for you you shall have time to think and save yourself this crime i will not loose my hold you cannot throw me off bill bill for dear god's sake for your own for mine stop before you spill my blood i have been true to you upon my guilty soul i have 
The man struggled violently to release his arms, but those of the girl were clasped round his, and tear her as he would he could not tear them away. Bill, cried the girl, striving to lay her head upon his breast. The gentleman and that dear lady told me to-night of a home in some foreign country, where I could end my days in solitude and peace. Let me see them again, and beg them on my knees to show the same mercy and goodness to you, and let us both leave this dreadful place, and far apart lead better lives, and forget how we have lived, except in prayers, and never see each other more. It is never too late to repent. They told me so. I feel it now. But we must have time. A little, little time. The housebreaker freed one arm and grasped his pistol. The certainty of immediate detection, if he fired, flashed across his mind, even in the midst of his fury, and he beat it twice with all the force he could summon upon the upturned face that almost touched his own. She staggered and fell, nearly blinded with the blood that rained down from a deep gash in her forehead but raising herself with difficulty on her knees drew from her bosom a white handkerchief rose maylie's own and holding it up in her folded hands as high towards heaven as her feeble strength would allow breathed one prayer for mercy to her maker it was a ghastly figure to look upon the murderer staggering backward to the wall and shutting out the sight with his hand seized a heavy club and struck her down End of section 11.